saying, that last little line there, that uh, we would not be ashamed to come into your presence this morning because of your mercy, because of the sacrifice that has been made by Jesus, because of his resurrection. Lord, I pray for any of this morning that feel like they have to hide or feel like they have to stand far off. I pray that as we talk about your glorious gospel and all that you've done for us, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would draw them near and that you would let them know your love. Thank you for being good to us, Father. Bless this time that we have together now. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Morning, morning. Got your Bibles, grab them. Go to Romans chapter one. Lord willing, for the next year, you're gonna hear me say on Sunday mornings, grab your Bibles and go to the book of Romans somewhere. For those of you that were not here last week, we started in Romans chapter one. We did verses one through seven. Lord willing, over the next uh, year, we're just gonna be kind of doing a slow walk uh, through the book of Romans this morning. We are going to be uh, reading verses eight through 17, and then we will, we will talk about it. That's what we do. Um, Romans chapter one, starting in verse eight, says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray one more time. Father, thanks for today. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would just bless the preaching of it now, the teaching of it. Give me words to speak in the moment that I need it. Fill each one of our hearts. Help us to be open. Let our hearts be soft to receive, to receive the seed of your word that the imperishable word might sink deep into us and again bring about good fruit and change in our lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Um, so again, just a little bit of a big bird's eye overview here. Um, we're going to be walking through the book of Romans, like I said, over the next year. Um, as Matt said at the beginning, there are Bible reading plans out there. Now, for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, you know that over the last couple of years we've done a Bible reading plan, and essentially we've preached from somewhere in that Bible reading plan here on a Sunday morning. Um, but we're just going to be going through the book of Romans this year. Um, please, please I, know, I heard a few comments this past week that people were like, why does the Bible reading plan not go with what we're talking about um, on Sunday mornings? Here would be my encouragement to you. Please do both, especially as we're going through the book of Romans. For those of you that were here last week, um, I shared a quote from J.I. Packer where he said, all roads in the Bible lead to Romans, and all views afforded by the Bible are seen most clearly from Romans. And when we get the message of Romans into a person's heart, there's no telling what may happen. And so here would be just a real practical encouragement to you uh, as one of your pastors here is just be reading the Bible reading plan. It's a chronological reading plan, just one chapter a day, five days a week. So you're not going to hit everything, but it's going to take you through the Bible. And as you do that, coupled with what we're talking about here on the book of Romans, those two things are going to dovetail very nicely together to help give you um, a, a big picture and hopefully a, a better uh, comprehension of both the storyline of the Bible, uh, but also the theology of the Bible that is always all about Jesus, okay? So now, just another uh, kind of practical um, word here on what we're doing and something that's especially applicable uh, to the book of Romans. It would be to all of scripture, but especially a book like Romans. I just don't know what you're used to or what, um, yeah, how I kind of how 
slowly, you're used to going through a book of the Bible. Uh, but like I said, we're going to be going through this for the next year. We've broken the book of Romans down into about 50 sections or so. But you have to understand that that's like nothing, okay? Some of my heroes, um, in fact, my favorite modern-day preacher is John Piper. John Piper preached verse by verse through the book of Romans over the course of six years, 225 sermons, okay? 225, we're doing 50. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great preachers over in London uh, back in the middle 1900s. He preached verse by verse through the book of Romans on Sunday evenings. Um, he would take little breaks here and there, but it took him 12 years. He preached 366 sermons, verse by book, through the book of Romans. Okay, so, so 50 is like, we're just kind of skimming the surface, okay? Now, the reason I say all that, I am going somewhere with all this, is that I want to give you a brief outline of the entire book of Romans. Zoe, if you can throw that, throw that outline up there for me. Do you have that? There you go. Um, this is kind of just a general outline of the book of Romans, and then I'll land the plane here, and I'll show you why this matters. But you have in verses 1 through 15, which we looked at 1 through 8 last week, and then we'll look at 15 a little farther this week. Just kind of an introduction. Again, it is a letter that Paul is writing to a church of believers in Rome. He's never met, there, met them before, but he wants to get to them. Romans is a missionary support letter, which he talks about at the end, towards the end of the letter. But he's laying out the gospel that he's, he, he preaches very comprehensively so that they know the message that he preaches um, and that they can be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Um, but then here, verses 16 and 17, which is what we're going to look at, part of what we're going to look at this morning. Um, the reason I'm showing you all this is that verses 16 and 17 are of the utmost importance. They really are kind of the main thesis for the entire book of Romans, okay? So just kind of a bird's eye view. And what it's going to talk about, if I just had to sum it up in 16 and 17, is that the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. Now, after that then, in the body of the book, the 118 all the way through, through chapter 15, verse 13, you have Paul just expounding on that primary thesis or main thesis that the righteous shall live by faith. He's going to talk about how righteousness is needed, how righteousness is provided, how God's righteousness is vindicated through his sovereignty, and how righteousness is to be practiced in chapters 12 through 15 there um, as we live this Christian life. And then he has some closing remarks at the end of the letter, which are, which are ultimately important but kind of separated from the body. Now, I say all that because this morning we're looking at verses 8 through 17, and we're going to touch on verses 16 and 17. Um, but again, like Martin Lloyd-Jones, John Piper, many other great godly men that I know I look up to and admire, they would spend weeks, sermons and sermons and sermons, just on verses 16 and 17. Now, the reason I'm pointing that out is, is because today we're primarily going to look at, primarily going to look at what comes before verses 16 and 17, and how verses 16 and 17 are the foundation of what Paul's going to say today. But then we're also going to come back and we're going to look at verses 16 and 17 a little bit next week. And everything that comes later on in this letter, um, not only is it the foundation of what we're going to talk about today, but it's the fountainhead of everything else that Paul was going to talk about in the rest of this letter. Um, <laughs> again, I share that just so that you have a little bit of an idea of what we're going to talk about here today. There's going to be primarily two things. One is we're going to look at six different um, kind of traits that marked Paul's life, okay, that I think uh, were evident in him from the text, but also that I want to be evident in us. But then we're going to look at the foundation of why those traits were evident in his life and how they're, they're supposed to be evident in our life, and that is because of our hope in the gospel, Okay. And so I want us to, I want us to get this, um, uh, and again, uh, this is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful portion of Scripture, but let me begin to walk through here, and again, we, um, there's six of these traits that I see here in the first couple verses, uh, and we're going to go through them quickly because I do want to get to verses 16 and 17 and kind of show you how it all works together. First of all, Paul was thankful. He was a thankful, he was a thankful man. And that may sound just kind of simple and, uh, and pithy. And you're like, okay, check. Paul was thankful. I should be thankful. Well, but are you really thankful? I mean, are you really, really thankful? Thankfulness is a really big deal. 
Amen? If thankfulness is a really big deal, especially for people who say they are saved only, wholly, totally, completely by the grace of God, to say that we have been saved by grace through faith alone in what Christ has done for us, and yet to not have thankfulness as a trait, as a characteristic that marks our lives is a total contradiction. Amen? There could be nothing greater than to receive salvation from Almighty God. Jesus Christ uh, said when he was here on this earth, he said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true and living God. In John chapter 17, thankfulness should mark our lives. He says here in verse eight, Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now notice here, he's thanking God for them. He's not thanking the Romans, he's thanking God for the Romans. Why? Because God is the reason that they are in Christ. The Spirit of God, through the preaching of the gospel, has worked to save these people that Paul has never met in another city that he's never been to. Paul does not see them as the competition. He does not see them as, some, as, as a group of people that he needs to control. He sees them as a blessing, and he is praying for this group of Christians that he's never met because he knows that God is at work there. Um, and that he knows that he can be mutually encouraged by them, as he goes on to say here in a little bit that we'll look at, and he also knows that he is going to uh, encourage them as well and not just be encouraged by them. So Paul is thankful. Second of all, Paul is prayerful. Look at verse 9. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. If we were to be a gospel-centered people, we should be thankful. We should also be prayerful. Again, very basic, very simple. You might be like, Eric, I, I know that we should be prayerful. I would just say again, are you? Are you actually prayerful? And do you believe that God will answer your prayers? Now, there's essentially three general answers that God is going to give in response to our prayers. Here's what they are. You ready? It's always, it's, it's always one of these three. The specifics, I don't know what it looks like, but here's one of the general three. Yes, no, or wait, right? Those are the three options. He's either going to say yes, no, or wait, okay? So Paul here, in the context, let's look at what, he want, what he's praying for. He says, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention always in my prayers, asking, here's what he's asking for, asking that somehow... By God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So Paul had been wanting to get to them. He wanted to get to them, and again, we'll read it in just a second. He, he wants to encourage them. He knows that he will be encouraged by them, but he's asking God to get to them. Now, in his asking, God did not immediately say yes. In this case here, in regards to this specific request that Paul has about asking to get to them, it seems that the answer is wait. And here's why I say the answer is wait. is because even though it has not happened right now and he's longed to get to them, it's not yet happened, but Paul is continuing to pray about it. And he's believing that at some point, by God's will, as he continues to pray, that God is going to answer his prayer to get to them, but just not now. How often... Do we give up in prayer? See, when I asked if you're prayerful, what I mean is, do you persevere in prayer? Do we persevere in prayer? Now, there's a whole other conversation that could be had. Yes, sometimes God says no, and when, he, and when he does, we bow our heads and we say, Lord, you're not my will, but yours be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But sometimes, and not just sometimes, but a lot of times, when we pray, we don't always just see instant answers to prayer just right now. But we have got to, if we're going to become mature, like we talked about last week, one of the reasons, or one of my, my hopes, my prayers for us as a church, as we go through the book of Romans over the next year, is that God would help us to sink our roots down deep, that we would become like mature oak trees, and not just little tiny plants that are blown over in the wind. If, if we're going to do that, if we're going to sink our roots down deep, and if we're going to become mature, we have to learn how to persevere in prayer. Paul persevered in prayer, because again, as we'll see, he was rooted and grounded in the truth of the gospel and that it never fails him. And I just want to real practically right now, again, the, the front part of this sermon, there's just a bunch of practicals here because this is kind of the way, or just kind of the order that the text uh, brings it to us this morning. But I wonder how many of you right now here this morning, you have things, this thing is moving on me this morning. I don't know what's happening. I'm going to move it slightly. 
Okay. Um, but I wonder if you, how many of you this morning come in here with things that you've been praying to God for and the answer has been wait or the answer has been not yet and you're just not sure. I just want to say to you, that's part of the Christian life. It is not an experience that is unique to you. Now hear me, I've been there. I think we've all been there. And I'm not just being flippant about it because that is hard, amen? It's hard. It, it's one thing to wait in line at Walmart, you know, when they've got 27 cash register lines, but three of them are open. I, don't, I mean, I don't understand it, but that's one type of waiting. But when you're waiting on a loved one to come back to the Lord, when you're waiting for maybe a healing or you hope to find some sort of healing in your life or the life of a loved one, it's difficult. But brothers and sisters, I just want to say that the more we understand the gospel, and again, we're going to get to it in verses 16 and 17, it, the more we will be a people that endure in prayer. God has his purposes in his sovereignty in what he is doing in your life right now in the waiting. It is not by accident. He sees the whole thing. He sees the big picture. There's things that he's working on out here. There's things he's working over here. He's working in a thousand different ways, in th ways that you do not see and things that need to come together in order to bring about the promise that we'll eventually get to maybe sometime in July-ish at the end of Romans where it says he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's what, that's, it's what he's doing. Um, <clears throat> sometimes the answer, he's not waiting on things out here that we don't see. Sometimes he's waiting on something in us. I mean, how many of you parents um, have ever waited to give your kids something that they asked for because they just weren't ready for it yet? We a couple, <laughs> so, you know, we have, we've got four boys in our house. Several years ago, the boys were, were pretty little. Um, we just had three of them at the time. And we went, to the Johnstown Swap Meet. You ever been to the Johnstown Swap Meet? Rednecks from all over the land come and they gather in a field outside of Johnstown. It's amazing. <laughs> and you, and, you, and uh, the, you know, there's just all these booths and stuff and you go, you know, and, and, and the boys, you know, they're at that age where every boy wants this, okay? They just wanted a pocket knife. They each wanted a pocket knife, you know? And believe me, the Johnstown Swap Meet has a plethora of pocket knives, all right? <laughs> and um, so we, you know, now Ephraim and Rowan, they were probably, they probably could, they, they could have handled it. It was good. But you know how it is when you got multiple, but then you had Finn. And he was just, he was just too little for a pocket knife, right? Yeah, we went and, you know, along the way, um, <laughs> Uh, we, you know, he's, we're looking at all these pocket knives and we, we get, we get the boys some, but we just, Han and I, and that moment, we knew Finn probably shouldn't have got one, but we just, we couldn't say no to him. And so we got him a pocket knife as well too. And we were actually, we were going away for that weekend and we went from Johnson, we went down to Columbus and we were staying at a hotel that night and going to do some other, uh, some other things. And, and almost no sooner did we get into the truck and we said, Finn, you can hold your pocket, but you don't get it out. You just hold it. You just hold it, okay? And so he's, you know, sitting there holding his little pocket knife, very proud of it. And no sooner did we get on the road than he flipped that baby open and he just, it wasn't bad, don't worry, it's not a, not a terrible story, but he just, he cut his finger a little bit. Um, okay, that was a really long <laughs> story. I just wanted to tell you about the Johnstown swap meet. But to illustrate this, is that guys, part of what you're asking for might not be bad probably isn't. But God is waiting to bring about a maturity in you to where you can handle it. And it's very true to life. And as we, the more we understand the gospel and that God is working in a thousand different ways out here that we don't see, but he's also working in here in ways that we don't see or maybe understand, 
the more we'll understand that when we don't see an answer to prayer right away, that doesn't mean that we give up. It means that we persevere in it and we keep on trusting, knowing that he hears us. And as a good heavenly father, he will give it to it, give, give it to us in the time that we need. Uh, if he so wills. So Paul is thankful, he's prayerful. There's also here just this general um, characteristic of confidence. Listen to the way Paul talks. He, it's like he's confident that he's eventually going to get to them, but then verse 11, he says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, now notice here the, the confidence. He's like, I want to get to you because when I get to you, I'm going to impart some sort of spiritual gift to you. Now, I just think the term here for spiritual gifts, I don't know that he's necessarily talking about real specific spiritual gifts. The Bible talks about that. Romans talks about that. Uh, we'll get to that eventually in chapter uh, 12. I just think he's talking, using it as a general term here. He's like, I want to get to you. And when he, but he says, when I get to you, I'm confident that I'm going to be a blessing to you. And not only am I going to be a blessing to you, but you are going to encourage me. And he says, and then in verse 13, he says, in order that I might reap some sort of harvest among you. It's not if, but he's confident that he's going to. Again, where does this confidence come from? We'll get there in a second. It comes from the gospel itself. That if we understand the power of the gospel, as Paul puts it down here in verse 16, which we'll get to, it, it creates this confidence in us that, you know what, God is real. He really moves. He still changes lives. We were talking about this at small church this past week. We were going through this passage, and I was talking about that, and this is going to be a little bit subjective, okay, but just work, work, work with me here, is that sometimes on a Sunday morning, let me be clear. I, every time we stand up, I, I have gotten up here, and you got, you know, I'm not, look, I'm not the greatest preacher in the world, but I'm just trying to be faithful to what God has called me to do. And there are Sundays where, you know, sometimes it's just a dud. It's like, it just, or that's the way I, I feel at least. But the word of God will have its full effect. And invariably, as we're faithful to the text, even if I feel like I don't present it well or I could have been clearer on something, um, the Lord is always faithful to, through some sort of conversation or somebody texts me and says, oh, thanks for sharing that this morning, blah, blah, blah. Because, because the word of God works and it's going to do what it does. Okay? However, I can also on a Sunday morning sometimes almost sense before the service a little bit what the service is going to be like. And one of the things that I think plays into it, and hear me, I, I said it's subjective and it's not a magic formula, okay? But one of the things that I truly believe plays into it is because all of us play a role when we gather here on Sunday mornings to be preaching the gospel to ourselves to where we come in here with an expectation that God is going to speak, that God is going to move, that when we gather as his body, that the promises of God are true, that he inhabits the praises of his people, and then we sing like it, we act like it, we, we look up in faith asking him to bless his word, and when we come hungry, it makes a difference. And I would just say that there's this attitude here in Paul that I want for me every week, I want for you every week, and especially as we gather, not just here, but in small church, in Bible studies, in discipleship groups, that does the, does the gospel that we say we believe, that we confess that we believe, does it not imply that every time we come together with another brother or sister in Christ and we open his word, that God is going to be at work to speak to us? Yes? And, uh, and again, it's not all dependent on our, on our expectation and on our faith. And praise God that it's not, <laughs> because we're fickle, we're up and down. Sometimes we're standing strong, other times our, our faith feels weak. And God's word is the rock upon, upon which we stand. And yet at the same time, I want us to have this confidence in the gospel that God is at work. Fourthly, and I'll put four and five together, Paul, because these two things, they kind of play off each other, and it seems like they don't go together, but they go together. Verses 14 and 15, Paul feels a sense of both obligation and eagerness. He was obligated and eager. Verse 14, he says, I am under obligation, 
both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Verse 15, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He feels both a sense of obligation and eagerness. Usually when some, we feel obligated to do something, it's a, okay, I guess I'll go do it. Because we feel that obligation. And when we're eager, we're excited about it. Paul speaks in terms of both. Now, if you go back, what we talked, we spent a fair amount of time talking about last week in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul calls himself a doulos, a slave. So in Christ, the, 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 dynam- the, unique, the unique dynamic of our relationship with Christ is that we are both slave and we are sons. We are united to him, and there's, so there's a sense of obligation that he is Lord, he is king. It's not our will, but his will that is to be done, and we should feel that. At the same time, we should also feel an eagerness that we have been privileged to come into his kingdom and to serve him. And I think, again, that this is, this is a... Quality that needs to mark us as a people if we get the gospel. And if these qualities aren't there, then we need to go back again to the gospel and look at it. That he is both Savior and Lord. Um, And it is both a duty and a delight to serve him. And then lastly, and this one kind of sums up all of them, but it also adds to it. Again, there's layers here in these things. Paul's thankful, prayerful, confident, obligated, eager, and lastly, he's unashamed. He's unashamed. And now we get to verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. So that for, and we're going to work on this a little bit. This is something that you're going to hear me say a lot. You you might get annoyed at it over the course of the next years. We go through the book of Romans. Don't, Don't get annoyed at it. It's really important. But the book of Romans, it's not just random thoughts. I mean, none of the Bible is, but especially a book like Romans, the most, some of the most important words in this letter that I want to get you to be good students of the Bible, to understand they are, they are the words for, since, because, therefore, if, then. All those little conjunction words, they're so important. And here you're going to see just one place, and we're going to see all throughout the rest of this letter how Paul does this, how he strings together his thoughts and makes an argument for why what Jesus Christ did for us is good news, and it is amazing, and he explains all the implications of it, but you'll see part of it here. He says, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome for, so here's the reason why. Why are you eager, Paul? Here's why. Because I'm not ashamed. Then you'll see another for. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel for. So I'm eager, I'm confident, I'm prayerful, I'm thankful. I'm going to get to you. Why? Because I'm not ashamed. Why are you not ashamed? For. Here's why. It is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Then verse 17, for, another one, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Paul is eager. He has all these attitudes because he's unashamed. He's unashamed because the gospel message itself is the power of God unto salvation. Paul was familiar with this power. He knew that it worked. And it caused him to live a life of being unashamed in every way for the gospel. Now, to verses 16 and 17, which I said at the beginning and showing you that kind of broad overview and outline, were pretty important. And they are. There are several key terms or little phrases in verses 16 and 17 that we need to unpack. There's six primary ones. Um, We'll cover a few of them today and we'll cover a few of them next week as we also go on. Uh, through the rest of chapter 1. But the terms are the gospel, the power of God, salvation, this idea of it being revealed, or the word revelation, so literally the word apocalypto, where we get the word apocalypse. Uh, it's actually, that's, the book of Revelation is actually apocalypto. That, that's what the title of the book is, but this idea of being revealed, righteousness, number five, and then faith or belief. What I want to unpack here this morning are a couple of these terms, one, salvation, the gospel, and the power of God. First of all, this word salvation, again, look at verse 16 with me. Again, Paul has all these attitudes, and he's unashamed of the gospel. Why? That's second four in 16. For it, the gospel, it refers to the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. Now, this idea of salvation... Okay, there's something here that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue for. You will see it more 
as we go throughout this letter. Okay, I need you to hang with me right now um, because I don't want to create more confusion. I'll try to explain this as best I can. Most of us, when we read that word here in this verse, we take it to mean conversion. And it does mean that, partly, but it means more than that. So we read it, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to convert people. Okay, now hear me. It it is. It absolutely is. It's my hope right now that as I'm preaching the gospel that's all about Jesus, that the Spirit of God will take my broken words from his perfect word and it will lay hold of people's hearts and it will bring change. It's my hope every single week as I stand up here. It should be your hope as you share your faith, as you share the truth of the word, that it is the power of God to convert people, to bring them from darkness to light to actually save them. Are you with me? It does that. It is that. But when Paul uses the term salvation here and, and also a lot through the book of Romans, he's not just speaking of the power to convert, although that's part of it. He is talking about the salvation to get us through all the way to the end. And not just to the end of life, but after this life. To get us through to that day when one day each and every single one of us, according to this gospel that is found in this book, we are going to stand before an almighty, holy God who is flaming in holiness, who the Bible says is a consuming fire, and we are going to stand before him, and how are we going to make it? What are we going to do on that day when we stand before him? What is our hope? How will we be saved in that moment? Answer, only the blood of Jesus. But when Paul speaks of salvation, it almost a lot through the book of Romans, I'll point this out as we go, it has a future orientation to not just this conversion, this thing that happened in the past, but this thing that God is working out in us to, and br- going to bring us to that day. That he's, he's, he's justified us. And again, we're going to unpack all these terms as we go through the book. He's justified us. He's declared us righteous. And because he's justified us, he's going to sanctify us. He's going to work in us to form Christ's likeness in us. And one day, because we've been justified and he's working to sanctify us, he's going to glorify us. He's going to get us through on that, on that day. That salvation, and here's here's a confusing phrase, but it's true. I don't want to be confusing. But the truth of your salvation is, and here's what I need you to get if you're going to understand all of it, is the truth is we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Are you with me? Now I'm not trying to be confusing. It's here's the thing: you can't, they're all connected. To have one is to have all of them. But this is This is the robust, dynamic way in which Paul is speaking of salvation. Let me give you a couple of other places just in the book of Romans that illustrate a little bit about the way Paul talks in regards to salvation. Yes, being already, but also being future and that he's going to see us all the way through to the end. Romans 5, 9. Listen. He says, Since therefore we have now been justified... So again, you, when you're converted, what happens is you, trust, you place your trust in Christ, boom, the judge says, not guilty. He declares you not guilty. We'll talk a lot about justification as we go through this book. Romans 5, 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, listen, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Did you hear how salvation, he speaks of it in a future way? Having been justified much more shall we or will we be saved from the wrath of God when we stand before him. Romans 13, 11. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. Listen, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Did you hear it? Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first, now, is that, oh, Eric, are you saying I'm not saved? No, you, you are saved. And you are being saved, and you will be saved. But the point is, is that this is the way in which Paul speaks of it. And now there's a very, very, very practical implication. Are you still with me? Somebody say something. You good? Okay. All right. Hang with me. (coughs) There's a very practical implication that if you, I almost want to say if you hear nothing else that I say from the book of Romans through the rest of the year, you got to hear this. Do both, okay? Listen to what's going to come and listen to this too. Listen, the point of all this is this. Is that the gospel 
isn't just the power to start the Christian life. The gospel is the power to live the Christian life. This is so important. And I, it, at, the, at the core, the, the nugget, at the center of 99% of the dysfunction in our lives is because we think the gospel is something that a line that we jumped across and we crossed the finish line. No, 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 no. You crossed the starting line. And now you're running a race. And the way you run that race is by every day believing this gospel. Believing that the same God who saved you, who justified you by his grace, is going to sanctify you by his grace, is going to one day glorify you by his grace. And how do we receive this grace? How do we receive a gift? Only one way. By faith. It's why it says the righteous will live by faith. So many Christians, if I can just be, be really honest, and again, I'm not trying to cap anybody, this, this, this takes, like, this just happens in church, but I would say that this is, although I would not have articulated it this way, looking back on my life, I would say that this is primarily the fallacy that I, that I um, kind of believed growing up, is that, yeah, I prayed the prayer, and I asked Jesus into my heart, and here's the thing, that's... Yeah, you need to be converted. You need to be justified. But then I was like, okay, well, I crossed the finish line. I guess I'll just, you know, whatever. And I wandered off into darkness and, and whatnot because I didn't understand that the gospel is for all of life. And let me show it to you again in, in, in the text here. Notice verse 15. What, look at it again. He says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Who's he speaking to? Christians. He's speaking to the church. Brothers and sisters, you need, you need to hear me. Is that the gospel is not just this past tense thing that we look back on and we look back on this time when we prayed a prayer and then you know, maybe you know, we felt something for a little bit and, then, and now we're just lost. Every single day, our hope is Jesus. Our hope is that he's going to see us through. And how do we go forward? We go forward by faith. That's why he says here, and again, I'm going to talk more about the faith and the righteousness part and the being revealed part next, next week. But he says the righteous live by faith. In other places, in, in Colossians 2, verse 6, and I'll read a little beyond that. Listen to this. Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... In the same way, walk in him. Well, how did you receive him as Lord? By faith. Well, how do we go forward in him? The same way. Just as we received him as Lord. So we walk in him. Rooted and built up in him. Established in the faith just as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. Thankfulness. Just like we talked before. If the gospel is true, and I can believe it every day, my life should be marked by thankfulness every day. Paul goes on in Colossians, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled, or other English translations say, in him you have been made complete. You've been made complete in Christ. And did you catch what he says there? That no one take you captive by philosophy. Here's what we do. Here's one of the human, here's one of the philosophies you run into in the world. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cultural Christianity philosophy. It's okay, you were justified by the blood, but now you gotta follow the rules. Now you gotta dress this way, now you gotta act a certain way, now you gotta do this, can't do that. Now listen, are there commands in scripture? Absolutely. All of the commands fall under the heading to love one another. Serve one another, be patient with one another. All those different one another's, there's absolutely commands. But I'm talking about dead, man-made rules and regulations that say you got to do something to stay in God's favor. The only thing that keeps you in the favor of God is faith in his son. That's it. Nothing else. But see, if you think it was just to, just to start it and not to live it, then you're going to find yourself being very frustrated. 
And eventually one of two things will happen. You will either become a religious Pharisee or you will become absolutely despairing and hopeless. Because we, we, we can't keep it. We can't stay in his favor with our actions. It's only by the blood of Christ. The gospel is not just the power to start the Christian life. It is the power to live the Christian life. And just to be clear here, although I've, all, I've already kind of mentioned this, but let me just be explicit about it. And remember what we talked about last week. Because again, through this whole letter, we've got to understand that what Paul says here, he wants us to remember when he gets down here. But let's look at this term, the gospel. So yes, salvation, it's both past, present, and future, and then the gospel. Do you remember what Paul said last week? Very end of verse one, and then he he interrupts himself in verse two, and then goes to verse three. Who is the gospel about? Who is the gospel about? Jesus. Look at verse one, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, and then he interrupts himself, verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, verse 3, concerning his son. The gospel is concerning his son. It's concerning Jesus. So when, you, when we read here in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, what we could say is, I am not ashamed of this message about what Christ has done for me. That's what he's saying. And so it's, it's not just this message. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a, a rule book, a playbook for us to plug in the right algorithms and then life will work. This message of good news, this good news message, which is what gospel means, it's about a person. And it's, it's, it's that God has united us to him. This is the phrase, the power of God. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What, what is this power of God? It is the power, we'll look at this more next week, it is the power, verse 17, to make us righteous. To make that which was unholy, holy. To make us saints. To give us right standing before God. To declare us to be that. Until that day when he finally eradicates all sin and brings us into his glorious presence and all struggle with temptation will be over with. This is what, probably the most succinct place that Paul puts this, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Listen, many of you will be familiar with this verse. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for, so here's the good news. Here's why you can be reconciled to God. For, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That in him, we might become the righteousness of God. All the blessings of salvation. That's what Paul is going to lay out for us. In, in the rest of chapter 1, all the way through chapter 11. Or at the end of chapter 11, primarily. Before he gets to the practical part. He's going to lay out all the blessings of salvation. All of those blessings are found in Christ. You understand we, we, this is what the power of God did. It unites us to Christ. It, it's a miracle, folks. It's a miracle. That we are united to Christ. I'll give an illustration that I hope helps. A couple months ago, you guys know that myself and Ephraim and uh, Matt and Taylor went to Columbia, South America, to work with some churches down there and to visit Q and Anna Kim, who are missionaries that we support down there. Now, here's the problem. I don't speak a lick of Spanish. My Spanish is even worse than my Dutch. I mean, vibisht, grumbaramush, sockmessel. I mean, that's, that's the extent of it. I know less Spanish than that. <laughs> So, so how are we to operate? I mean, how, how are we, I mean, I was supposed to preach. I did a five-hour workshop on one day with some injured. We did a five-hour workshop the next day with a group of pastors. How in the world is this going to work? How, how, how are we going to live? How are we going to operate? How is anything good going to come of this? Well, we had our buddy Q, very fluent, 
in Spanish, okay, and English. And I want to tell you, we had a wonderful time in this foreign land of which I do not speak any Spanish whatsoever. Um, by the way, I personally didn't feel bad about it because I'd never taken any Spanish. Is Taylor eating here? Maybe not. Taylor took like six years of Spanish, and he wasn't any better. Okay, just, just to throw that out here. I don't know. <laughs> so I, you know, blame him, not me. Um, uh, but, but we had Q, excuse me, with us to get us through to, to translate. Now, let me tell you something. Every now and then, we would get separated from him. There were a few times we went out into the market, and we were shopping, and then, you know, every now and then, we'd... I would, I would think I'd have it. I'd think, man, I can just, I can at least get through this checkout experience at the checkout counter where I just got to give some pesos and, you know, and I'm buying a little thing or, you know, whatever. And I'd get separated from Q for a little bit. And, and man, in those moments, I'm like, I can do this. No, I couldn't. They would look at me and they would say something and I'd just get all my money out and I'd kind of like lay it out there and then, you know, that's really not a smart idea. And I'd, I'd find myself immediately, as soon as I was apart from Q, I would find myself completely and utterly helpless. And so what would I do? I'd, uh, I shouldn't have started it. Q, Q, and we'd start, we'd start calling for him and he'd, he'd, come, <laughs> he'd, come, he'd come running over and just boom, just like that. You know, he'd, he'd apologize for us and our... <laughs> inability and then he you know smooth it over and, and we'd go on folks this is just how it is with Christ do you understand we cannot we don't just start with him we didn't we don't just enter into the kingdom of God we don't just enter into this new life it's not like you just picked us up from the airport and got us through customs and we said okay Q good now see you we'll take it from here no way we wouldn't have made it Do you understand? Every single day, we don't just start with Jesus. We need him every day, and we need him close. And here's the good news of the gospel that Paul's going to go on to to, to show us verse after verse after verse is the reality is, is that even when we, for in a moment in our pride, when we walk away from him, he does not leave us. He doesn't leave us. It, and here's the thing, maybe, maybe you don't think that's good news, but man, if you've ever tried, I do it all the time. I step out and I think I got this. I think I can do this. And I can't. I find myself completely confused and lost and not doing anything good. But Christ remains faithful. He is always there. And I plead with you this morning that if you call yourself a believer, and I hear, I'm not doubting it, there was truly a time where you were converted, where you were justified, where the Spirit of Christ came into you. But I'm asking you this morning, not your neighbor, not somebody else, and I don't even know. I don't know your heart. I barely know my own heart. But you know your heart. Christ knows your heart even better than you know your heart. And here's the question to you this morning, is have you started the Christian life with Jesus, but now you've moved on to other things? And you're trying to do it on your own. I would tell you again this morning, remember the gospel. Remember Jesus. Remember all that he did for you because it is through our union with him that we have everything that we need. When we get to places, I mean, there's, there, there, there's so many, but probably one of the most Probably one of the most famous verses in Romans, probably the most famous chapter within the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, and chapter 8, verse 1. Do you know what it says? There is therefore now no condemnation. For who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who have been united to him. What? How? By faith. By faith alone. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. And it is absolutely amazing. Because Jesus Christ is absolutely amazing. Worship team, I'm going to invite you up. And we'll, and we'll close here and just close with one thought. We're going to take communion together today.
And again, all those practical things that we mentioned at the beginning that we see in Paul's life, that he was thankful, prayerful, confident, obligated, eager, unashamed, they are built upon the foundation of the gospel. That's always true. But if I can just wed kind of the theological part in verses 16 and 17 with the first practical thing that we talked about of deep thankfulness, this word here for thank in verse 8 where Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. It's the, it's the Greek word eucharisto. And if those of you from, are familiar with church history, for the most part throughout church history, the Lord's table or communion has been referred to as the Eucharist. Now, not all traditions use that because sometimes it carries Catholic, Roman Catholic overtones and different things like that. But, but here's what the word means. It just means thankfulness. That's all it means. And I find it simple and beautiful that throughout history, when God's people wanted to give a name to the Lord's Supper. One of the things they just called it was, for lack of a better term, this ceremony of thankfulness. <laughs> that we're thankful for what he's done. And that's really the application and the exhortation as we come today. As we're gonna stand here in just a second and we're going to partake of this. And if you're helping serve communion, you can come down. I, I especially want to exhort you, if you've been a Christian, and you've been a Christian for a long time, and I'll let you decide what a long time is, okay? But maybe the thing that you need to just in the quietness of your own heart as you come this morning, the thing that you need to repent of is that you've just not been thankful. <laughs> and friends, I want to tell you something. I don't care what's going on in your life. I, mean, I, I, I care, but you know what I mean? I care what's going on, but no matter what it is, no matter how difficult it is, you have so much to be thankful for. If you know Jesus, your eternity is secure. In him is found every spiritual blessing that we could ever need. He loves you. He's going to take care of you. And he will see you through to the end. Just keep believing. Keep trusting him. As we come and as we sing, I pray that your Holy Spirit would once again flood our hearts with thankfulness. I just want to say personally, Lord, thank you for saving me. I didn't save myself. You saved me. I thank you for that, Lord.